I'd like to uh, begin our, I always feel weird when I say sermon, because I don't mean to sound like I'm preaching at you, but I guess I will be. So <laughs> I'd like to start today's service with a story. Uh, it's actually a parable about two fish. Um, there was a young man by the name of Alexander. He was an ambitious young man. He had a goal. He had a dream. He wanted to conquer the world because he was so committed to his culture, his language, his music, his art, everything about Hellenism. He thought this will bring a blessing to the world. But in order to accomplish this, I've got to conquer the world. So he was an ambitious young man. Um, He went to his father, who just happened to be Philip of Macedon. He was the king. And he poured his heart out to his father and said, you know, Dad, this is what I'm wanting to do. I want to bring what we have to offer to the world. But I realize I'm going to have to conquer the world to do this. And his father, as a wise king, said to him, Alexander, that's commendable. I think that's great. But before you start out on your trek to conquer the world, I'm going to suggest... You go down to Athens, and there you'll find an old man by the name of Aristotle. He's a wise philosopher, and if you'll go find him, tell him what you're wanting to do, tell him you'll do anything to be his disciple, he will take you under wing, he will train you, so that when you head out on your quest to conquer the world with your mission, you'll be the wiser for it. So, Alexander left home, traveled down to Ant- or not to Antioch, but down to uh, Athens, and there he looked high and low for this wise old man by the name of Aristotle. Finally, someone said, "Oh, hey, it's Tuesday. Every Tuesday, he's down at the fish mart, and that's where he does his shopping. And I bet if you go down there now, you'll find him." So Alexander went down to the fish mart, and there, sure enough, here was this old man standing by the fish cart kind of looking at the fish. And he walked up and said, excuse me, sir, are you Aristotle, the philosopher? And of course, the wise old man looked at this young man and said, yes, that's that's me. Why, Why do you ask? He goes, well, I've come all the way from Macedonia to find you because I want to be your disciple. I want to, I want to conquer the world. But my father told me if I'm going to do that, I need to sit under your tutelage. I need to learn from you so I can do what I need to do. And I'll do anything, anything you ask, whatever it is, I'll do anything you ask to be your disciple. And the old man looked at this young man and said, hmm, you'll do anything. Oh, yes, sir, I'll do anything. You just ask it. So Aristotle walked over to the fish cart and started rummaging through all these fish. (laughs) And, And finally, he whispers something like, Ah, perfect. Those will do just fine. And he picks up these two little fish. And he walks back over to Alexander. He says, you want to be my disciple? Oh, yes, sir. I'll do anything. Okay. I want you to take these two fish. And I want you to put these two fish in your pockets for two weeks. And then come back. You can follow me and be my disciple. To which Alexander retorted, what? You want me to put those stinky fish in my pockets for two weeks and then I can be your disciple? Do you know who you're talking to? Do you know who I am? I'm Alexander. I'm the son of 
Philip of Macedon, the great king, and you're asking me to embarrass myself and carry these two fish? No, sir, I won't do that. I will not humble myself and, ridicule, you know, and subject myself to ridicule. No way. And Aristotle looked at Alexander and those two fish and said, what a shame. Such devotion destroyed by two small fish. <laughs> two small fish. This morning, I'd like for us to consider the subject of discipleship. But not just any discipleship, not just following anyone, no matter how famous or how wonderful he or she might be, but I'd like for us to consider the subject of Christian discipleship. And there's two aspects to this. I'd like, first of all, just shortly to consider a call to discipleship. What does that mean to be a disciple? And secondly, the cost of discipleship. And so the first thing I'd like for us to do is look at a passage in Matthew's gospel, chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Matthew's gospel, chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. And there we read, Jesus says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What is a disciple? Well, the word in Greek simply means student, follower, someone who adheres to the ideas of others. But a disciple, a Christian disciple, is not only a student, but someone who follows the beliefs and practices of his or her master. A Christian is someone who follows their master. And so a Christian disciple is someone who adheres to the character and conduct of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to be his disciple. And as a follower of Christ, the disciple wants to pattern his or her life after him, after Jesus. Luke tells us in the book of Acts, chapter 11, verse 26, that the disciples were called Christianos, Christians. First at Antioch. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, you know that the church had spread out after a very difficult time of persecution in Jerusalem. And they went up to a city in Syria called Antioch. And there, God had blessed their work up there. And they were reaching not only Jewish people for Jesus, but Gentile people for Jesus. And they were having such an impact on the the culture there that people began to notice there's something different about these Christians. Something's not right about these Christians. They're a little off. What's wrong with these disciples of Jesus? And so they came up with a name for the disciples of Jesus, Christianos. Now, that's not a nice name. (laughs) It's it's really a put-down. It's really a term of derision. It's kind of... Like in our day, oh, you're one of those. You're one of those Christians. Oh, you goody two-shoes. You 
party poopers. You're no fun. What's wrong with you? You're a Christianos. Ever heard that? No? Well, what kind of disciples are you if you haven't heard that? <laughs> so it was, a, it was actually the, the name Christian was not a, a nice name to call someone. But you know, the disciples of Jesus embraced that as a badge of honor. Because what these people were saying is, oh, you think you're like Jesus. You think you're little Christ. Peter, who happened to be in Antioch at this time, later on wrote to the early church. And I'll, I'll read this for you so you don't have to thumb through your Bibles. But in 1 Peter, his first epistle, chapter 4, listen to what Peter says about those Christians. He says, starting in verse um, 12 to 16, he says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in somebody else's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christianus, a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. So what does it mean to be a disciple, a Christian disciple? It means you follow after Christ. Is it always easy? No. Will everyone always think highly of you? No. Sometimes we Christians are the proverbial skunk that shows up at the party, the, you know, at the picnic. <laughs> oh, no, here they come. Yeah. Um, but it comes with being a disciple of Christ. So let's talk a little about the cost of discipleship. Jesus tells us what's involved with being his disciple. He tells us what his requirements are to follow in his footsteps. Now, before you shoot the messenger, I didn't make this stuff up, <laughs> okay? And if you want to consider me a Christiano, so I'll, I'll, I'll be blessed by that. But this is what Jesus said, okay? This is what Jesus said, not Stan Linder. I'm just repeating what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus said. If anyone wants to come after me, anyone wants to be my disciple... First of all, he or she must deny him or herself. If we're going to be disciples, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to take that name, Christ, follower upon ourselves, then we have to deny ourselves. And by the way, these three requirements that Jesus gives us are not suggestions. They're not simple good advice. They're not recommendations. They're imperatives. Anyone know what an imperative is? <laughs> Thank you, Charles. You must be one of those Christianos back there at the soundboard. Yeah, it's a command. It's not an option. So Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you must deny yourself. Deny myself? Yeah, the word means I have to pull away from myself. I have to get away from me, you know, me me doing me, as they say today. 
I have to get away from myself. Why? Because as a disciple, I'm not my own. I don't belong to me. I belong to who? The Lord. As a disciple of Jesus, who do you belong to? Do you really belong to yourself? No, you belong to who? You can say the name. It's okay. Jesus. <laughs> Thank you. There's no, nobody with guns at the back door going to arrest us. Yeah, at least not yet. Yeah, we belong to Jesus. And we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. We're his servants. Have you ever thought about that word servant? I'm a servant of the Lord. It's the word doulos. You know what that means? I'm a slave. I am a slave of Christ. I belong to him. I don't belong to myself. He bought me. And I belong to him. I'm his possession. Which means that should be seen in the fact that I am no longer serving self. But who? Christ. First thing. If you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. Secondly, if you want to be my disciple, Jesus says, you must take up your cross. In some translations, daily, daily. Oh, my gosh. Not not just Easter and Christmas. I got to take up my cross daily. Wow. The word for take there really means to embrace a cause, to embrace something because you are giving yourself wholeheartedly to it. So much so that you take it upon yourself. Have you ever thought about the cross? You know, we wear them in rings and necklaces and, you know, have them on our Bibles. And, you know, but have you ever thought about what that symbolizes? In the Bible, the, the cross symbolizes a stigma. A stigma of suffering. A stigma of sorrow, a stigma of shame. You see, when Jesus says, you have to deny yourself, Stan, you have to also embrace the way I'm going. You have to embrace my lifestyle. Oh, what's that, Lord? I can be wealthy and healthy and wise? Well, maybe. Or it might cost you everything. You may have to learn to follow me, not only in health, but maybe sickness. Maybe in wealth, because I'm giving you extra money to help others. Or you may have to serve when you have nothing to give at all. The cross represents suffering. But it also represents sorrow. Because... When we come to know Jesus as our master, we not only recognize the sorrow he bore on our behalf, we not only recognize that when they nailed him to the tree, it was you and I, literally, I should say spiritually, we were nailing him to that tree. It was our sin that was placed upon him. Our iniquity that he bore. And when we think about that, not only should that bring sorrow to our heart because I've sinned against the Lord. But when I look out around me, when I go to the store, when I'm driving down the street, even the parkway, (laughs) and I see all these people, every one of those people I see have a story. 
Every one of them have a life. And like me, they've suffered. They've rejoiced. They've lost. They've gained. And when I see them, when I'm thinking about the cross, I'm thinking Jesus died for them. Jesus died for that person I'm looking at. Wow. What if they go into eternity not knowing Jesus? The cross tells me I should be praying for them. I should be doing everything I can to love them, to reach out to them. But the cross also represents shame. Think about what it must have been like for someone to be condemned as a criminal in the Roman Empire and there on display as they're walking down the road, people yelling, cheering, jeering, throwing things at them, calling them names. They've been beaten. They've been humiliated. And in the end, contrary to our modest ways, when they were crucified, they were crucified naked for all to see. People would turn their heads because it was not only a horrible sight to see someone who had been beaten like that, but just out of respect, why would you want to gaze upon anybody in that situation? So Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, not only do you have to deny yourself, you're going to have to accept the fact It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be easy. Being a Christian is hard. And if it's not, maybe we should ask ourselves, why not? Hmm. But notice Jesus says, the third thing is, you got to follow him. Again, this is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's a command. You're going to be my disciple? You have to follow me. It means we have to be in the same way that he is as our master. This requires a disciple to follow the example of his Lord, her Lord, and to exemplify the master's character and conduct in what he thinks, in what he says, in what he does. Jesus says, if you're my disciple then you're going to think like I think. You're going to talk like I talk. You're going to do what I do. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to exemplify his character and conduct. But, you know, we can't do that. It's completely impossible to do that if we don't keep our eyes on him. You know, how can we really be disciples of Christ if we're not keeping our eyes on Jesus. But it's not just a matter of keeping our eyes on Jesus because we can keep our eyes on Jesus from afar off. There goes Jesus. It literally means to follow close, to shadow, to follow him in his suffering, follow him in his way. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews just finished 
the chapter, chapter 11, of course, about the heroes of faith and everything that they went through and accomplished, and it wasn't always easy. But notice what the writer says here, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set uh, before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Is life hard? Yes. Do we go through problems? Yes. Does God bring people into our lives that (laughs) we wonder, God, why did you bring him or her into my life? Because we're being trained, aren't we? And we have to follow Jesus. We've got to keep our eyes on him and we've got to stay right behind him or we're going to get off track or as someone once said, one click off. (laughs) Yeah. It's not easy being a disciple, is it? And yet, Jesus invites us. He calls us. Come follow me. Oh, Lord, I want to follow you. Because I understand being a Christian is a great life. Well, it is. It is the best life you could ever experience here, now, and forevermore. But sometimes it's not so easy, is it? Sometimes we have to deny ourselves. Sometimes we have to take up the cross and we always have to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I began this little, um, I was going to say tirade, but <laughs> this little message with, with a parable. I'd, li- I'd like for us to look at a paradox that Jesus presents here. You know, you have two truths and it's kind of hard to reconcile these truths They don't contradict each other, but sometimes it's like, well, how do you explain this? Because notice in Matthew's gospel, our text this morning, verse 25, Jesus says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is saying there's two groups of people here. There's two kinds of people. And in my younger days, I used to tell people there's two kinds of people in the world. There's saints and there's ain'ts. And if you ain't a saint, you ain't. But there's two kinds of people in this world. Technically, when it gets down to it, there's two kinds of people. There are those who choose to save their life in the present. And one day, they'll find that they've lost it sometime in the future. Think about it. We live in a world that tells us, like Eric, uh, Alexander, I'm going to live for power. That's what ma- I'm going to be the most powerful senator, most powerful congressperson. I'm going to be the most powerful boss. You know, we, we get this idea that power is what life is all about at any cost. There are those who say, well, I'm not interested in power, but I wouldn't mind being rich. And so I'm going to devote my whole life to being rich, no matter what it costs. Even if it costs my family, my friends, my integrity. Got to be rich. 
Other people say, well, I'm not so much concerned about power and riches, but man, I'd sure like to be famous. I'm going to live for fame. Look at me. The lights are on me. But in the end, what happens? They've lost it. (laughs) They've lost everything. We know the world. We live in this world. Sometimes that world tempts us, doesn't it? We find ourselves lured that way. It's in the uh, Adamic DNA, if you will. We've got this problem that we struggle with sin. But Jesus said there's another kind of people, too. There are those who choose to lose their life for his sake. And yet, at the same time, they find the real meaning of life, their real life, here and now and forevermore. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What kind of life is that? Well, it's a life of faith. It's a life of faith. I'm trusting in the Lord. I don't know where he's taking me. I don't know if I like that road we're going down, but I'm going to stay close by. I'm going to keep my eyes on him. I'm going to trust him. That's what discipleship is. I'm going to trust the Lord no matter what. It's a life of hope. Lord, it just seems like everything's gone wrong. We've lost so much. What's going to happen? But you know, when I hold on to Jesus and I follow him, in spite of all that despair, I can have hope because I'm trusting him. I'm following him. He knows where he's going. He knows what he's doing. And you know what? He's got complete ability to see it through. But it's also a life of love. A life of love. It's a wonderful life to follow Jesus. But let me just take a moment if you'll bear with me. I'd like to ask a question. What do we find in life lived in submission to Christ? Because that's what discipleship is. Not my will, Lord, but your will. I submit myself to you. What's that like? Well, I got some good news and I got some bad news. (laughs) The good news is it's awesome. The bad news is, like Alexander, we might find a fish or two that we're asked to carry. Do you think Jesus ever asked us to do things and to follow through on things that maybe we don't really want to do? Has God ever put something on your heart and you know that, yeah, I know it's the Lord, but I really don't want it. That stinks. (laughs) And what would people say? Oh. Really, Lord, two fish. I love in Mark's gospel, Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee and he sees Simon and his brothers fishing. Simon and, and uh, I forgot his brother's name now. Andrew, thank you. It's the gray hair, the white hair now. Um, and he says to them, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. A fish story, you can tell now. Yes, a fish. I'm going to make you fishers of men and women and children. And what did they do? Mark tells us they immediately dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. Jesus has given us two fish. (laughs) You ready to find out what they are? First of all, Jesus has given us a commission to fulfill. 
Every one of us here who profess to follow our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know I don't care what your office is in the church. I don't care if you're a doorkeeper or uh, an elder or uh, you could be the pastor. You could be the child, children's minister, uh, you know, music. It, it doesn't matter. Those are all wonderful things. But all of us, regardless of whatever our mission is in the church, all of us have this commission to fulfill, and that is to make disciples for Christ. Let me read this for you. Matthew chapter 28. Let me see what Jesus says here about making disciples. Here's Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28. And I'm pretty sure we all have heard this. Chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, to the disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus has given us a commission. And as Christians, we are to teach and train others to be disciples. You know, years ago, we actually did this. We actually used to not only go out on the streets and the byways and the highways and, and pass out tracts and have our Bibles and talk to people and ask them if we could share with them about what Jesus has done in our life. Now, we weren't out there saying, hey, sinner, do you know there's only two types of people? I'm one and you're the other. No, we didn't do that. But we did talk to people about what Jesus has done, who he is. And guess what? We saw hundreds of people come to the Lord, not because we were anything great or pretty or talented, It was the gospel. It was the spirit of God taking this word and planting it in people's hearts and opening their eyes. And they came to realize, I need Jesus too. It was exciting. Was it fun? No. Sometimes you get spit on. Sometimes people throw stuff at you. Sometimes you get punched in the face. That just comes with the turf. Sometimes people would be very thankful, and and you are always thankful for them. (laughs) But Jesus has given us commission to go make disciples, which is no simple task. However, here's the good news on this one. Jesus has promised to be with us all the way. That's the difference. He didn't just say, okay, I'm going back to heaven. You got to take care of this. And I'll see you when you get there. Jesus promised that he is with us. Do you know he's with us right now today? Whatever you're thinking right now, the Lord is either saying yay or nay to that. We've come here together as a church. Lord, we want to do your will. We want to be your disciples. And the first thing the Lord tells us, I want all of you to be making disciples. I want you to teach them, to share with them. I want you to raise them up. You don't even need a college degree to do that. As a matter of fact, you don't even need a high school degree. As a matter of fact, you could just see somebody living in a village hut with no education at all, no formal education. But you know what they said about the 
the apostles, the disciples, when they said, who are these men? Who do they think they are? The religious leaders, they realized, oh, they were with Jesus. <laughs> How did they know so much? They spent time with Jesus. That's, all, that's how simple it is. So we have a, a commission, and we have a master who is with us. I thought about what that means when he, Jesus said, I'm with you always. Remember in the first chapter of Matthew's gospel, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from, from their sins, and he shall be called Emmanuel. Who knows what Emmanuel, that title is? What does that title mean? God with us. Jesus, our Emmanuel is with us. That should give us hope. That should be exciting. You mean the Lord is going to, if we'll follow him and trust him, he's promised that no matter how difficult things may get, he's with us, he's going to lead us, and he's going to get it done. I don't know about you, but that, that's exciting. That's really exciting. I'm, I know I probably sound like a Baptocostal right now, but bear with me. <laughs> I've got your name here, Ann. <laughs> I'm teasing with you. That's one fish I guess we have to carry. Here's another one. A commandment. Oh, I know that's not... We, we don't want to be legalistic here. You know, you know, we're, we're free and, you know, commandments. What are you talking about, commandments? Yeah, Jesus has given us a commandment to obey. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples in John's Gospel, chapter 13? Let me read that for you. John's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment. Really, Lord, a commandment? Yes, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, by what, Lord? By this, all will know that you are my disciples if, if you have love for one another. Wow. I think that's harder than the commission. <laughs> we have a, 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 a commandment that the master has given. And you know, that commandment is to love one another. You know, we talk about commissioning. We always think of being outside of the church, re- reaching the lost. But we have a, com- a commandment within the church, right here among ourselves, to do what? To love one another. Jesus said that the proof of our discipleship is not found in our denominational or doctrinal distinctives. Think about that. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a Presbyterian. I'm not going to heaven because I'm an Episcopalian. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a Congregationalist or a Pentecostal or a Baptist or a Methodist. I'm going to heaven because of who Jesus is and what he's done. That's what that's all about. Now, do I agree with everybody? No, because I know most people don't agree with me. (laughs) But I have to love those people. Do people ever do me wrong? Not my wife. (laughs) She puts up with me, though. Yeah, people do me wrong. I do people wrong. 
And we have to still love each other. That's the proof of discipleship. The proof of discipleship is that we love each other. Now, I used to teach in a Bible college, so please forgive me. I, I got I to make a differentiation here. One of the problems we have with only reading the Bible in a particular language, I'm not talking tra- version or translation, but language, is the word love is so ambiguous. It's so ambiguous. What does that mean? We have to love each other. Well, there's two words in the New Testament for the English word love. One is agapeo. You probably heard it as agape. But the actual word is agapeo. It's a verb. The other is phileo. Phileo is a type of love that is rooted deeply in the emotions. It's the type of love that you have for your family. It's the type of love you have for a dear friend, for your country, for your community. It's phileo. It's, it's the type of love that it just happens. You know, you don't have to make yourself phileo anything or anyone. It's just something that you meet somebody and it just, we, as we say, it just clicks. It's just, yeah, we just got this close bond. There's this emotional, we, we're the best of buds. Or that's my, br- my brother or my, my cousin or, you know, it's just that type of love. It just happens. And all of us know what that's like. That's not the word Jesus uses here. He uses the word agapeo. That's the type of love that is a willful choice to do what is best for others regardless of how you feel. It doesn't depend on feelings. It depends on doing what's right. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus says, I lay my life down for you because I choose to love you. Did God have to love us in some emotional way? No. He loves us because he wants the best for us. Now translate that over to Jesus' command. This is how everyone's going to know if you're truly my disciples. If, not maybe, not a suggestion, but if you have love for one another, the world's going to know you're my disciples. That's a powerful message, isn't it? Don't we need to hear that? I, I need to hear that every day because I don't always love the way I should love. Our daughter passed away almost 10 years ago. Her name's Krista. She'd be 44 this coming February. Yeah, (laughs) I guess that makes us old. 44. And when we lost Krista, it was devastating. There isn't a day go by that we don't think about it. We love our daughter. We miss her. Sometimes I, I think, man, I'd do anything almost anything, if I could just have five minutes, I could just sit across the table from her, have a cup of coffee, hold her hand, and just say, talk to me. Dad's going to shut up. I just want to hear your voice. And hopefully it won't be too much of, (laughs) but we miss her dearly. And Krista had a really, really difficult life. She suffered mentally, physically, emotionally. Her life was a mess, except for this. 
she knew the Lord. And when we sat down after her passing, we were going through her effects, going through her things. We, uh, we have her Bible. I was going to bring that today. But one of the things that really spoke to us, just, it's just like, thank you, Lord. Thank you. We've gone through this horrible thing of losing our daughter. And there in her journal, shortly before she passed away, she's with the Lord now. If you'll indulge me, indulge me, I would like to read what she wrote about a relationship with Jesus. I'd like to read to you, in her words, what Christian discipleship is all about. Listen to this. This is what Krista wrote. A relationship with Jesus, I'll try not to cry. A relationship with Jesus, the Son of God, becomes our source of inner strength and joy. In Jesus, we can find answers to our deepest needs, peace, companionship, hope, truth, assurance, joy, and love. Our fellowship with Jesus is a personal one. He is closer to us than a brother or a sister. He understands everything about us. He is with us all the time. We can talk to him and share with him about our victories and defeats. His interest in us gives us new courage, new strength, new life, new love, and new gladness, end quote, Krista Elizabeth Linder. Wow. I should have just read that and let it, let it speak for itself. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be his disciple? It means everything. But let me tell you, He's in it with us. He not only provides what we need, he guides us. He's with us. He's here to comfort us. He's here to remind us that it's not just enough to follow the Great Commission to reach others. But the real proof of that is going to be seen right here in our lives with each other, loving one another. What is love like? What is agapeo, agape, if you want to use that, that use of the term? I think the Apostle Paul said, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious, it thinks no wrong, it does no wrong, it's forgiving. Does that sound like Jesus to you? Yeah. Does that sound like us? It can be, if we're willing to pick up those fish. It's hard. I want to encourage you. The Lord is with us. Let's not lose sight of that. The Lord is with us. And he has given us a community with people who need to know the good news. How can they know if they don't go? How can they come to know the, Christ, the, 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 the message of Christ if we're not telling them? So we've got a big job to do. The other day I was looking at the stats and it's estimated there are less than 100,000 residents in Sevier County, not just Pigeon Forge or uh, Sevierville. The whole county, less than 100,000 people. Now that's a lot of people, I grant that. But think about how many guests we have here. Conservatively, I heard the number is 11 million. Now I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know this. There's a lot of people come here. I think we've got a big mission field that the Lord says, hey, I'm going to bring them to you. 
And by the way, the Lord also says, and not only do you have a mission field, but you've got a church. I brought you together here. You're my people. And I want you to know me. And I want you to understand my will for your life. And as good children, I want you to love one another. I want you to love one another the way I love you. And if you'll do that, then all these people out here, they're going to know what? They're Christianos. It's them. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that we have because you have inspired your word. It's inerrant and it's infallible. Thank you that you have not left us to our own schemes, our own wisdom. Thank you that you have led us here to this county, to this church to be your people. But Father, we had confessed to you that like Moses, though we've accomplished things, we've also failed. And we recognize that though you clearly lead the way, there are times we don't follow. There are times that we take our eyes off of you and we end up at best one click off. Help us to get back on track if we're not there, Lord. Help us to Put our eyes on you. Grab a hold of you, knowing that you are life and you are forgiveness and that you bring healing, not only to this world in which we live, but in this fellowship in which we are here together. And we thank you. And we ask that your spirit would search our hearts and our minds as we sing this last song, that we would contemplate true discipleship, that we would think about what it means to belong to you. And we ask this for your glory and for others, for their good. In Jesus' name, amen.